Good morning. This morning's reading is John 1, verses 1 through 5. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the was was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Dee. Good morning. Um, again, my name's Dave. Um, I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. And uh, I just yeah, want to again say w- w- welcome. So good to be together. Week two um, with an option to be in person. I want to say, again, just kind of shout out if you're outside, f- find some shade, stay hydrated. And um, I also want to give you a, a heads up. If you've never heard me preach before, I want to let you know that I stutter. And that'll kind of come in and out as I go. But just want to Make sure that you know what that is, so you're not distracted or um, anything like that. And we're going to dive right into our time together. This is our second week in John, but we're starting now in verse 1. We uh, went Last week, we looked at John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, which really lays out the whole plan, the whole purpose for, for John. And then this week, we're going to be now circling back and starting in verse 1. And again, as we look ahead, the plan is to be in John for the foreseeable future, all right, all throughout the rest of this year and probably the majority of next year as well. And um, I'm confident that, that, that what John laid out in chapter 20, what we talked about last week, will take root, that we will truly see Jesus and, and believe in him and then have life, abundant, eternal life in his name. Amen. So that's our, that's our expectation this morning and throughout the foreseeable future as we walk through, um, walk through John. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, your word that you've given, that you've sent. We're told that your word is profitable for everything, for correction, for rebuke, for knowledge. And I pray even as we look at this idea of the word, the word becoming flesh, taking on flesh, the word being in the beginning. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will illuminate our hearts and our minds or to see you clearly, to understand what you're saying to us, to shape us. Lord, your word is living and active. We pray that as we come under your word, that we will be sent out, Lord, to live actively in the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim and demonstrate the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. If you were going to tell a story of an encounter or some event that radically shaped your life, how would you go about it? Think with me for a minute. How would you start it? What details would you share? Would it just be like we talked about last week? Would it be like a security footage, just give every last detail, every event? Or would, what, what would you emphasize? Where would you start? Especially if it was one from a long time ago. What comes to mind for me is September 11th, 2001. That was my senior year of college right here at the U of A. I worked at the cat card office uh, early in the morning. I'd, I'd show up there and then I would ride the cat tran, right? U of A, everything has to be named after cat. Or, um, so I, I would go around and, and, and it was during that time for a couple hours that I, I, I learned about what had happened. 
And, and if I were going to tell you all the story now 20 years later of almost 20 years later of everything that happened, I would want you to understand certain things. I'd want you to understand where I was, what I was experiencing, what was going on. And, 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 and as we approach this gospel account, the gospel according to John, um, we need to understand what he's doing. It's likely written 50 years after Jesus died and rose again. John was in his young 20s when he was a, a disciple of Jesus, when he first encountered Jesus and then followed him and then took on the name. I don't know if he gave it to himself, by the way, but the disciple whom Jesus loved. He kind of liked to say that about himself. And, um, and, and he was this young guy. And then Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God the Father and promised that he would come back. And um, like 50 years later, John writes what we're now reading. And it's different from the other accounts, right? People would have probably said, John, when are you going to write yours, right? Matthew already has, Luke already has, Mark, who wasn't even really there, he probably got his account from Peter. He already wrote one. When are you going to show up? When are you going to write this thing, because he'd written lots of other things, lots of letters. He'd been telling this story of Jesus. He'd been telling the real life events and encounter that he had had with Christ. And people would wonder, well, how are you going to start? And John starts in the beginning. And you might, if you've looked ahead or you, you know, it's like, well, he doesn't start with Christmas, right? Like Matthew and Luke do. He doesn't start with a poor young woman and this unsuspecting carpenter named Joseph and, you know, a, a manger and a star. He doesn't start with all that. He, 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 he starts with what's known as like an overture. And so this is also helpful. The next 18 verses that we're going to be in, John basically tells everything he's going to tell. He gives us a snapshot. He gives us a little picture throughout all 21 chapters of John, he kind of crams in the main points, the big ideas in these first 18 verses. How many of you know what an overture is? I'm sure, okay, a handful of you do. I knew Tom Wisely would, being the musical um, expert that he is. And I, I didn't know fully, I'd heard that word, but I didn't understand that like an opera, um, I know Megan Larry sometimes sings as an opera singer, and she would know this for sure, that in an opera right the, at the very beginning, um, you, the whole story that's going to be told is, is given to you at the very beginning. And then, or maybe more contemporary, uh, for those of us who know Hamilton, that happens, right? The very first song of Hamilton, and I asked my kids who love Hamilton and know all the words of every song. They shouldn't probably know all the words, but mom edits it when they're in dad's car. I forget. And they're just like, oh, dad, mom normally, you know, turns it down for this part. But, um, but anyway, they know Hamilton. And I asked some kids, what's the first song of Alexander Hamilton? And they all chuckle and laugh at me. And they say, it's Alexander Hamilton. And what happens in there is Alexander Hamilton tells his whole life story. And then throughout the whole rest of the play, though, you get kind of a closer look at everything that he said he was going to tell you about. Well, that's what John is doing. And John starts in the beginning. But again, it's not sufficient to just start with Mary and Joseph. He needs to start at the very beginning. So with that, pick up with me in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, two key words here that we need to unpack together and really look at is beginning and word. 
All right, we're going to spend a bulk of our time in this part, and then don't worry, we're going to get all the way through verse 5 this morning. But in the beginning, all right, he did this not just to be like in the beginning, you know, Mary and Joseph. This is the beginning of Jesus' life. This is to um, bring us in and captivate us to the reality that Jesus is in the beginning. And the word that's used there, the Greek word that's used there for beginning, would be like where we get the word archaeology, which means origins. And for a Jewish person reading this, where do you think their, their mind would go? Where do you think they would go right when they read this? They go to the very first words in all of Scripture, to Genesis chapter 1. If you've ever read that or heard that, what does it start with? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As we get here, there, not everything that was created, well, what's created? Everything. Well, what came before that? God. Well, when? In the beginning. This, this is, again, the idea of, of origins, of the very beginning of all things. If you're wondering about Jesus, you have to go to God. If you're a Greek person reading this and you're wondering about origins and they would have these kind of philosophical conversations about where truth comes from and where knowledge comes from and everything has some kind of influence that that led into it and then there's this kind of ethereal kind of transcendent understanding of of like the the truth as um as like um plato would have would have talked about and and this idea of, of, of there's some kind of origin. Well, John gets to this and says, listen, if you want to understand where all things come from, if you want to understand Jesus, you have to go back to where? The very beginning. It's not enough just to go back to a manger. It's not enough just to go back to, you know, when he was born. Because we're told, and we'll learn here, he took on flesh. He was born. But he traces his roots all the way back to where they can't be traced. The very beginning, everything that exists comes from, flows from Jesus. So right out of the gates here, the first words of John, where he chooses to start, is he chooses to start at the very beginning and to, sh- and to show us and to, and to bring us in to kind of scratch our heads and say, wait, 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 uh, I, don't, I don't fully understand here. Um, and as we looked at last week, like C.S. Lewis talks about, right, if we... We, he begins this understanding of it, it, you, Jesus doesn't give us the option. We're not given the option of just a good moral example, just a good philosophical teacher. All throughout John, Jesus will say things like we saw last week, that quote where he's either a lunatic, he's crazy, of someone who thinks of themselves as a poached egg, as C.S. Lewis said, um, or he's a liar, right? He knows he's not God, but he's just hustling everyone. He's tricking us all. Or he is who he says he is. He is God. He is in the beginning. He is the one who said, let there be. And it was. But then what's this next part when he goes on to continue to explain Jesus? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So again, right there, and we'll see this unpacked in later chapters, but it's abundantly clear here. The word is not just flowing from God. It's not just um, someone who really worships God and is a good example. No, right here, the word was God. But why would John use this, this, this term, or in our case, word, 
word. Right? That's kind of confusing for us, right? Like, why, why word? That doesn't make sense. We can try to understand it. We can try to, from our language, to wrap our minds around this and be like, why, why word? It seems like kind of a confusing thing. If you're starting to explain Jesus, you're starting to lay out who Jesus was, what he did, how, how he alone is the Christ, the Son of God, and through faith in him or belief in him, you can have eternal, abundant life. Why, why use a confusing word here? Well, we need to press in. And let me even just say, we're not alone in our confusion, but even more in the time this was written, it would have been a contested word. Hey, John, the author, would have probably gotten some pushback. Why are you using this word? Not because of the Jewish audience. The Jewish audience would have heard this and would have heard, oh, the word is how God communicates with his people, right? God speaks. Okay, so Jesus is maybe another prophet, right? How God speaks to his people. They would have thought to Moses at the burning bush. They would have thought to creation, God speaking creation into existence. They would have thought of God giving his law to his people, right? Through written word on tablets. They would have thought about these things. But then again, even for a Jewish audience, when he goes right out of the gates, he doesn't want to stumble, right? He's like, did I stutter? You can laugh at that. It's okay. If you, right? He's like, I want to make it very clear. Um, the word was God. So, so, so he's making it clear here. No, Jesus, who I'm talking about, is God. In verse 17, by the way, is when he kind of unveils and says, this is Jesus that I'm talking about. But what about the Greek audience? This word, logos, in Greek, means like um, originating thought or orienting truth. That, that would have, that would have um, again, been directly associated with Greek scholarship, Greek philosophers, hear me now, a Greek worldview that, that would have been pushed back on. John, why, if you're talking about Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, the Christ, God, why would you use a word from a completely different worldview that's going to be confusing for people? All right, now hang with me for a minute or kind of engage our minds. Is that not a conversation today? Um, for example, I'll, I'll kind of ease into this or I'll give a couple different examples. One example that came to mind for me where I've had a similar conversation was um, my wife and I, our, our whole family actually partnered with a ministry here in town. I know the Wiseys know this well, um, uh, Tucson Refugee Ministry. And they do this thing every summer that's an incredible evangelistic camp, sharing the good news of Jesus. Well, the first time we got there, the very first day at this camp, they sing a song, right, to engage kids. It's predominantly refugees, many of whom, most of whom are Muslim, from Muslim backgrounds, and, and this ministry has already built incredible relationships and, 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 and trust. And there's this, 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 this effort, again, to, to reach out, to demonstrate the gospel through hospitality and love, and then also to share the gospel, the gospel through evangelism and explanation. Well, the first song that was sung by um, people I know and trust and love was, um, Allah is an awesome God, he reigns in heaven and on earth with wisdom. Right? And you guys know that our God is an awesome God. He reigns. It's a song. And I remember asking about it. And then as I pressed in more, I learned that even that there was, there's a, a rich 
sometimes contentious conversation about, well, should you use the word Allah? Because that's already associated with a religion. And then some would come back and say, well, it's like if you were singing in Spanish, you would say Dios, right? That's the word for God. In Arabic, the word for God is Allah. And then others uh, who also love Jesus and love the scriptures and have rich um, evangelistic fervor and heart would push back and say, yeah, but I don't think we should use that word. It's, it's because it's already attached with a completely different worldview, a completely different religion. And I'll just say right here, I don't think my job is to say, yes, use that word or no, don't use that word. I think it's important to ask hard questions, to press in, to, to seek advice from people who know more than me. Maybe in our context, in our room right now, I'll make it a little more uncomfortable, not just for discomfort's sake, but I think a similar conversation is going on with the term Black Lives Matter that's also associated with an organization. Now, when it first started, it was a term and people would talk about it. Oh, we can use this. It's three simple words. You should be able to say it. If you read through scripture, do Black Lives Matter matter. Again, you can just look now at Genesis, the very beginning, right? God says, let us make man in our image. So our maybe Christian language would be our black people, image bearers of God. The answer should be a resounding yes, yes, and amen. Well, should all image bearers of God be treated with respect and dignity and, and, and safety? Yes, it then, but then others would say, well, it's associated with this organization that now especially has come out. There's, there's things explicitly stated in that organization that is a completely different worldview than we would share as Christians. So should we be a part of this, um, saying this statement that's also associated with this organization? And should we not? Should we come up with a new term? And again, right now, maybe some of you want me to say this. You want me to give you yes or no. I think similarly, that's not, that's not my role. What is my role as, as a pastor, as a, as a teacher of the word, is to lead us into deeper understanding, to hopefully um, help us to, to develop a conviction, um, a, a need, a desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and to, to understand, like John here, there's something, all of life, okay, hear me, when we say all of life is all for Jesus, we are called to have what um, Leslie Newbegin um, refers to as a missional encounter. Okay, what that means is in everything that we do, in every place where we find ourselves, if you are a follower of Jesus, there will always be something that can be affirmed and something that needs to be critiqued or challenged or pushed up against. And you name it, right? And, and this is why we talk about the story of God. Because of God's creation, because of 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 of. of of, of creational truth, because God said, let there be, and there was. Everything that is, as we'll see in a moment in verse three, everything that exists flows from God. Hear it this way, this phrase, all truth is whose truth? Is God's truth. So if something is true, wherever it is, okay, think of it, it comes from God. Okay, and yet, because of what's referred to as the fall or the rebellion, sin, where all we like sheep went away, each turned to his own way, where we said, God, I want to find my identity and my purpose apart from you, and systems and structures and identity and purpose and everything has now been affected and infected, marred by not God. 
Okay, so there is both God's creational good, the imago Dei, quorum Deo, right? That's lived all of life before the face of God. And then there's also affected and marred by sin. And wherever we find ourselves, both are true. And so as Christians, okay, what I do want to say is not say this phrase always or don't say this phrase. It's, it's be discerning, be wise, and understand that as followers of Jesus, we desperately need his Holy Spirit for discernment, for wisdom. We are called to proclaim and to demonstrate the gospel. I, in this case, in John chapter one, I believe John said, I want, to, I want to speak to the hearts of the Greek audience. Okay, Matthew is predominantly written with a Jewish audience already in mind. The language is, is rich and full of predominantly Jewish language. And I think John is saying, and then um, uh, others right, have more Greek language. And Paul is an, is an apostle sent to the Greeks. And yet I think John is right out of the gates here. And we see all throughout his languages, I, I, I want to see God's, God's vast kingdom, his tapestry of people right here. He uses clear Jewish. Jewish and Greek imagery and language. But church, what I do want to say is this. Please hear me right now. We're a part of something, right? This phrase, this term, that's a cancel culture. If it comes from here, it must be completely rejected, completely died. There's, there's nothing to affirm it's all bad. If you are here, there's nothing to affirm it's all bad. I, I reject it. And as Christians, again, hear me right now, we are going to experience that. We should experience that wherever we find ourselves. Because of this, the kingdom of God is altogether different. Okay, there, there, we've talked about this before. There, um, uh, Tim Keller lists out five markers of the early church, right? Do you remember these? Hopefully you can commit them. And if you look at the early church and you, you dive into what did the early church do, there were five things that they were really, really known for. One of them was a really strong sexual ethic. What, what it means where sexual identity and practice come from. There was monogamy was totally unheard of in the time. It was altogether different. And, and that God's churches, people were all about that. They were all about protecting the most vulnerable, um, including or especially abortion and infanticide. In Rome in that time, in the Greek world, that was happening all over the place. And the fact that Christians, the church, were at the front of the line fighting against that evil was, was about who they were. They were also radically committed to the poor, Re incredibly generous, not talking about in any way, you've got to hold on to this. You got to, it was, they were so generous with, with all that they had. And they were also radically committed, even here as we see, to, 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 um, to racial and ethnic reconciliation, okay? To, to God reconciling us to himself and to each other. And that was unknown. And then the fifth thing, right? We've talked about nobody was doing this is forgiveness and, and graciousness, even or especially to those who would disagree or the enemies as it is referred to. And hopefully, as I said that, you can think the first two things I said, you're like, oh, that sounds pretty right, right? Politically, whatever, leaning, that's right. Or, oh, that, that sounds pretty left. Well, hear me, if we're ever sitting around a table, if we're followers of Jesus, we should not fully fit in. There will be things that we say, yes, yes, and amen, amen. And then other things that we say, I don't think that. That doesn't flow out of the gospel of Jesus. Any table other than the Lord's table, amen.
where Jesus calls us, where he shapes us, where he, he forms us in his image. And there will always be something to affirm and to push up against. And it's because all life belongs to him. You pick up now in verse three with me. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So the questions beg, well, what was made? Everything, all things. Thank you. You can, we can get involved here. Um, we can interact, right? All things, everything was made. So this is this, this short verse right here is, is so massively important again, because when we're talking about Jesus, we want to take him as like a good advisor to our lives. Well, Jesus says this, I don't know, kind of good, kind of bad. I like, I like what he says. Again, I like what he says about generosity to the poor, but not about sexual ethics. Or to some might say, oh, I like what Jesus says about, um, about ethnic diversity and reconciliation, but not what he says about protecting the unborn. Right and and he doesn't give up. We don't have that option. If we're followers of Jesus, it's uh, it's all belongs to him. Why? Because he made it all. He rules over all of it. Two verses. If you're taking notes, you might even kind of jot these down. Or two things that just there are tons, but two that come to mind for me is Isaiah chapter forty. I love it. Maybe because I'm a short little little guy, and I like to think of a big, big God that I find security and hope and confidence in. And in and, and this language in Isaiah chapter 40 of, of God measuring the span of the, of the, of the, of the universe in, in his hand between his thumb and the end of his forefinger, that God is that big, that God measures the oceans in like the palm of his hand. Like you and I would maybe pick up just a little drink of water. The, all the oceans, that is how big God is. There's this picture of God in his creational oversight. Job, the last part of Job, just puts that on blast as well. You can think of it, God's bigger, whatever it might be. Well, maybe um, sinking in a little bit more in Colossians chapter one. This is incredibly important. And specifically in verse 16. So verses 15 through 20 is just this incredible mic drop freestyle moment of just Jesus is better. He's preeminent. You can think of it. He is greater. But then specifically in verse 16, we're told all things were created, created through him and for him. So again, right out of the gates here in John, we see the bigness, the majesty of life. Any aspect of life, individual life, moral life, culture at large, economics, you name it, it needs to come under the light of what he says about it because it belongs to him. Amen? And then lastly, church, let's read verse five together. The light shines, oh, I gotta get back in the, I forgot we're on camera here. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. A simple verse right here, right? But again, incredibly packed, which the whole rest of John is gonna use this language time and time again to talk about life and light. And in times, John will, will kind of pick on or will talk about the antonym, the, the opposite of these words. He'll talk about darkness. He'll talk about death. 
And, and, and in times when he's, when he's writing about the gospel call, about God pursuing you and calling you to faith in himself, he will say, listen, come out of the darkness. He will say, those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, um, come and see, come to the, the, the light. And Jesus is the light. He's the one who spoke light into creation. And then we will hear him referred to as the light and the life. It will be all over the place. And it's, it's this idea that we need to, to, to really um, kind of, again, over the next year plus, just get used to discerning, even praying that the Spirit will give us wisdom to see what is darkness, what kind of worldview, what kind of message, what kind of, of temptation to, to align in this place or in this place is actually a call to the darkness. But, 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 but the message of scriptures, no, Jesus is the light. In fact, let me read one more verse for us in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 4, verse 6. So this is now written by Paul, but he is um, dis- describing this, this truth about Jesus. And this is, this is what it says. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to see, look to Jesus. If you feel like death is creeping in, death of relationship, death of control over a particular addiction, death of, 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 of end of life, whatever it might be, Jesus. Look to Jesus. God has revealed himself. You want to know God? Look to Jesus. What does Jesus say about himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then the very last part of verse five, let me pastor us for a moment here. What overcomes the light? Nothing. The darkness has not overcome it. How many of us in this season feel like that's just a neat little phrase, but doesn't line up with where we find ourselves? It feels like everything else is overcoming (laughs) Right? It feels like a particular political agenda, you name it. Feels like that's overcoming, like that's triumphing. Feels like health is waning and death is overcoming. It feels like light, maybe in homes and with our children. It feels like their light is being snuffed out and the darkness is overcoming. Those of us who have emotional um, struggle. And, 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 and mental illness, perhaps, of different kind, and, 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 and find ourselves walking through this, 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 uh, this, um, this t- seemingly dark journey of emotional health. What we learn from this whole time in John is, I don't want to dismiss that in any way. I want to say, I see you, God sees you, you are seen, you matter. And then the message here, though, is, our, our intellect, to the Greek, our, our feelings aren't ultimate. They matter, but they're not ultimate. What is ultimate is the light of God shown in the face of Jesus Christ. You want to know the truth? Look to Jesus. You want to know the beginning of all things? Look to Jesus. He has overcome. 
All right, if we were in another place right now, we'd all be standing up right now. We'd have a praise break. We'd be singing the song. We will overcome because he has overcome. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? All right, let's respond to him in worship. Again, Father, thank you for this time we've had to come together. Lord, um, this cultural moment we find ourselves in is not something we have conjured up, have written up. It's not something we would ever seek to, uh, to, to, to place ourselves in, but here we are. And Lord Jesus, I pray that this morning you have revealed yourself to us and said, here I am. Lord, I pray that as we respond now, I pray for anyone whose faith has been waning and struggling. Lord, for anyone who's thought we can create you in our own image, that there will be conviction. Lord, for anyone who is struggling and feels overcome, that there will be hope and joy and trust in you. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.